I do believe that for all of us, life has wonderful, rich joys. I'm a very positive person. I don't have the perspective in my mind that everything in the world is bad. In fact, I know a whole lot of people that are in the world that are wonderful people. And, you know, sometimes people say, you know, the world is worse than it's ever been. And that's just not true. In fact, it's not even worse than it was in Genesis chapter six, a long, long time ago, where the Bible says that the thoughts of man's heart was ever evil continually. And God destroyed the world by way of a flood and saved eight righteous souls. So I don't believe in the concept that everything in life is bad and everybody in life is bad. I don't believe that at all. I think the world is filled with good things too. It is filled with goodness and things that we enjoy in our life. But saying all of that, let me also say, there is the reality of trouble in life. There is. In fact, life comes with those troubles, and that's nothing new. Do you remember the words of Job a long, long time ago? Job said that man is born unto trouble. Jesus himself said, in this world, what are you going to have? You're going to have trouble. James said, we're going to fall into various trials. So no one questions the fact that life can bring disappointments. It can bring discontentment, pain, grief, and yes, even loss. It's filled with unexpected turns, unanticipated events. And sometimes those things are debilitating and painful experiences, and that's called life. Being able to cope with all of these things really is the goal of everyone. We live in a world that is filled with people trying to adjust to the pain that sometimes co comes our way. Trying to deal with life without a total collapse, without a breakdown, without a burnout, without being hopeless, without fear, apathy, or just without the reality of giving up. And all of that is a matter of learning how to endure. How can we endure the pains of life, the great disappointments that come our way in life? Broken dreams, broken homes, broken lives, and broken relationships. And sometimes the pain seems harder than we can bear. How do we handle that? How can we face the world and all of those things like the Apostle Paul did. You remember back in the fourth chapter in the eighth verse of 2 Corinthians. Paul said, notice, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. How can we do that? How can we be hard pressed and not crushed? How can we be perplexed and not in despair? How can we be persecuted but not forsaken and struck down and still not be destroyed? How can we do that? You know, the Apostle Paul lets us in on a little spiritual secret for endurance. I love the writings of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, a chosen vessel of Jesus Christ, he became the mouthpiece to the Gentiles. He proclaimed the word of God throughout all areas to all manner of people. And by divine inspiration, he wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. But I love the writings of Paul because Paul oftentimes gives us very practical things and practical ways, practical secrets that we can use in our life. He does so here too. He suffered so many great things in his life, and yet he lived in a triumphant manner. 
You know, sometimes we think that our sufferings and our hardships and our hard times are exclusive to ourselves. Have you ever said or thought? Sure you have, because I have too. Have you ever said or thought at one point in time in your life that nobody could possibly understand what I'm going through? That this pain is so great that nobody could possibly understand how I feel? You know what I have found in my lifetime? I have found this, that regardless of what you go through, whatever magnitude that it is, whatever challenge, suffering, trial, whatever you want to call it, whatever you're going through, if you are honest with yourself and you keep your eyes open, you will find somebody close by, somebody near that's had it worse than you. That's a fact. There's nothing new also under the sun. There's nothing new. In fact, all the challenges that come our way, there's nothing but that which is common to man. You know what that means? That means somebody else went through it too. But sometimes we think it's just far greater than we can bear. That nobody can identify with it. We can identify with Paul though. Because Paul triumphed over all of the things in which he suffered. He suffered so great a thing in his life. I'm going to tell you, somebody may do this to Frank Brancato. Frank Brancato may say, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the Lord's church. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Therefore, this is my stand. This is the truth of the word of God. And I'm going to stand on the word of God. You know what about the worst thing they're going to do to Frank Brancato? Make fun of me, badmouth me, so what? That's about it. What if you were Paul? What about what he had to give up? What about his cost of discipleship? Do you remember when Jesus said the masterful sermon, when he preached the sermon on counting the cost? Remember that? He said there's a cost to discipleship. And he said it's like a man that builds a tower and doesn't finish it. There's a cost. You have to sit down and count the cost and decide, do I have enough to finish. Will I be a Christian for the rest of my life? May I say as I interject at this point right now, please understand this. Please write it down, mark it down. Don't ever forget it. If you want to make it to the end as a faithful child of God, you have to make the determined resolve in advance and daily. I am never going to be anything else but a faithful member of the church in advance. That's what Paul did. If he can endure the most, we can certainly endure, endure the least and not give up and not quit. Let me remind you of some of the things Paul suffered. This is really amazing to me. He said, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. He's writing to the church at Corinth and he is discussing what the apostles had to endure compared to what they perhaps were going through, which was nothing. And Paul said, I think this, I think God has displayed us apostles as those that were condemned to death and those that were a spectacle to the world. What's all that mean? Really briefly, the word spectacle, spectacle is the word theatron. And that's where we get the word theater in the English language. What that was is, in Roman times, 
They would have all those at Rome, especially all of those higher-ups, and they would be watching for their own personal entertainment, whatever spectacle was about to happen. Before the climax or the spectacle, they had lions fighting against lions. They had gladiators fighting against gladiators. But there was something that came very differently at the end or the climax. It was the spectacle. You know what they would do? They would get those men condemned to die and they would put them down there and turn the lions loose after they stripped them of all of their clothes. You know what history tells us? A lot of those people that were condemned to die were Christians. And they had to die for their faith. That was the climax. That was the spectacle. That's what he's saying the apostles had to go through. That's what we are, he said. We are the spectacle. Our petty little pain seems insignificant compared to that. I think we understand that. I think we get that. But there's a very deep awareness in the heart of Paul that made him endure. And this becomes then a very practical section of scripture. It's not hard to understand. It's very direct. It's very straightforward, very simple. (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) Sometimes it just does that. (coughs) Excuse me. It's the premise that gives us the opportunity to live a triumphant life over things that we might endure in our life. So in response to his fresh view of sufferings, it gives us three verses, a real treasure, where we learn heavenly reasons for earthly endurance. And they're found in our passage. I'll now put it back. Here is the heavenly responses or reasons for earthly endurance. And they're very powerful. But first of all, I want to notice in verse 16 at the very beginning. It begins with these words, therefore we do not lose heart. You know what that means? He begins saying, look, this is my response in advance. Then he's going to say why. But the first thing he says is, therefore we do not lose heart. The phraseology there of losing heart is something that he actually said in the past. He also said it in another passage, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. He said, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Exact same phrase. What's it mean to lose heart? You know what it means? It means to be a coward. We don't do that. Yeah. Folks, you know what happens when you quit? You quit on the Lord. Paul said, no, not me. I'm not going to lose heart. Losing heart means to be a coward. It means more. It means to lose your boldness, to lose your bravery, to be faint-hearted, timid, weak, and fearful. To be weary and give up and quit. You know what he said? We are not like that. We will not do that. We will not lose heart. In light of the glorious eternal life that was his... And the spiritual blessings that he had in Christ, in view of all of that, he could never lose heart. He could never despair and never quit. No matter how he is assaulted, no matter how he's in trouble, it doesn't matter. He will never lose heart. And here are the secrets of endurance. Number one, here it is. He's going to give some secrets. And they're found in these passages, these three verses. 
You know what number one is? Number one, if you're taking notes, you will be able to endure when you value spiritual strength over physical strength. When spiritual strength is more important to you than physical strength. Now, he says, he begins right here, we do not lose heart. And then he says, even though. You know that phrase, even though, actually means the better translation is since. In other words, in the Greek construction of that, he is going to say something that was assumed that everybody knew, a fact and evidence. And he begins by saying this, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We are not going to quit. We're not going to be discouraged. No, we won't. Since, and there it is, our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. This is somebody that treasured spiritual strength more than physical strength. The first reason that he was able to endure anything that came to him in the physical realm was because he was more concerned about what was happening in the spiritual realm. Now, our outward man, obviously, is our bodies. Certainly, we get that. We understand that. And it's included, but there's more. It also includes physical characteristics. It's the body. It's all the internal parts. And it's even the function of our brain. And he said, all of that is decay. Now, obviously, Paul's getting older. You know, it said, I don't know for sure, but it said that Paul lived to be about 60. You're over 60, right? Okay. If I were to go up to Terry and I would say, Terry, is 60 old? Oh, why no? I'm 52 in a couple days. Is 60 old? No way. You know what I'm going to say? I'm in my prime. It's nothing. So what's he talking about? He is talking about something that is decaying. When you're born into this world, you begin to die. And it's the outward man that perishes. It's the outward man that we're talking about. In time, it will die. But what about this idea of getting older? Paul was relatively young at this time. I think 60, not too old. So it has to be more than the process of aging. It's more than that. It's also the events that sped up the aging process. Now, do you remember Paul actually took himself and he spent himself... For the cause of Christ. We can go into all the lashings and the beatings and the stonings and all of that. We're not going to do that now. But I want to make a point. Do you remember when he wrote the letter to Philemon? And do you remember when he wrote to him? He said, I could come to you as the apostle. I could come to you with apostolic authority. And I could tell you to forgive that runaway slave Onesimus. I can make you do it. But I'm not doing it. He said, I'm coming out of love. And what? Paul the aged. Did you know that Paul and Philemon were the same age? They were both about 60 at that time. So why would Paul call himself the agent? It means this. It is age that is accelerated by experience. It's kind of like this. It's not the years. It's the miles. Have you ever known someone that lived a really hard life? And they weren't that old, but man, they look rough. You know why? It's the miles. It's the experiences. I'm very thankful that I bounced back and I, and I came back from it. But I remember being the sickest in my life going through cancer treatments. I remember being ball-headed 
and I looked like I was about 80. I, look at, I looked at old pictures, couldn't even believe that was me. You know what that was? That was me having an age accelerated by experience. That happens to us in life. So Paul says this outer body is decaying. He was relatively young. I think he's young because I'm getting sick, close to 60 now. Real young. But he talks about it as something different. It's not the years lived, it's the miles traveled. It was relentless hostility and suffering that sped up the aging process in his life. It was the beatings, the whippings, and everything else. Do you remember when he said this? He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Incidentally, a little side note. Can I just add a little side note here? He had literal marks in his body. He could literally say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And all the whippings and everything he went through, he could take off his shirt, as it were, his robe, and he could demonstrate all the marks that he had. And he said every one of them was for the cause of Christ. What about us? We're going to get there in a minute. What about us, though? Do we bear in a symbolic way in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus? Because every time you stand for the truth and stand for what's right and you have to suffer any kind of ramification for that, that's a mark. Every time you do what's right, that's a mark. We have young people here. Every time, if you will, stand on your own two feet and tell your friends that's wrong and I'm a Christian and I'm not going to do that. And they make fun of you and they put you down and they want to be friends with you anymore. Or maybe they bully you or push you around. You know what? That's a mark. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Let me ask you this. What if Jesus on the day of judgment says, Frank, let me see your scars. What if? What if the Lord said, I need to see your scars? Would I have any? Or would I have just lived a life of compromise that I had no scars at all and I just was all things to all people and whoever I was with, that's who I was. Or have I stood for something? And do I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus? Paul was a man of endurance. He says there's something that's more important. Even though the outward man is decaying or dying, there's something about the inner man. What is the inner man? The inner man is the heart. It is the soul. It is your real self. It's the eternal part of us. And that, that which lives forever. And you heard me very recently say... I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just say what I said. Because I love Brother Everett. He's alive in my heart. And in our family and in his brothers and sisters' hearts too. At his funeral, I said, Brother Everett is as alive today as he ever had been. He's just not here. You know why? The inner man. That never dies. Remember that song we used to sing, The Soul Never Dies? That's the eternal part. That's the inner part. So we have to make the right decision so the inner part gets to have a reward one day. That's what we do. That's what lives on. And you know what he's saying? It doesn't matter all the persecutions to my outer man. The inner man, because God was doing it, is being strengthened day by day. Powerful stuff. I don't care what happens to me physically, he said. I'm concerned about what happens to me spiritually. And when I am physically weak, as he said before, I am spiritually 
strong. Our troubles and our trials and our pains in life, they contribute to the inner strength. Do you know why? Because they drive you to God. And I'm going to tell you this too. That's not just, that's anybody, even people in the world. Have you ever noticed that? When something bad happens? Do you remember when 9-11 hit? You have people that didn't even think about God. And they're starting to think about praying. It's a natural course of action. When you have something bad going on, people are drawn to God. Now, when the child of God suffers, he or she is also drawn to God. And God strengthens the inner part. That's what Paul said. You want to endure, we got to value the spiritual rather than the physical. But there's a second one. There's a second one. The second secret of endurance. Second heavenly reality is this. You will endure not only when you value the spiritual over the physical, but you will endure when you value the future over the present. Now, I know that we are people of immediate gratification people. I know that. But Paul's going to describe, now wait a minute, if you want to endure, you not only have to value the spiritual over the physical, but you got to do something else. you got to value the future more than you do the present. And here's our passage again. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. So, he calls these things as bad as he went through, light affliction. He said it's for a moment. In other words, it's in the present. It's in the present. But it's doing something. You know, one scholar said Paul towered over his troubles. Because all of his troubles were making him, please get this, they were making him spiritually strong. That's how you do it. You tower over your trials when you allow the trials to help strengthen you spiritually. That's what he said. We can handle it. Oh, by the way, beatings, scourgings, punishments, throwing rocks at him, finally cutting his head off. He called it light affliction. Light affliction. He felt like they were gaining him, though, greater, a greater weight of eternal glory. The more sufferings he endures, the greater the weight of glory becomes. They are benefiting him eternally. He puts affliction, suffering, and pain on one side of the scale. Now, have you ever talked, have you ever said the words tipping the scales? Okay? It's this idea you got a scale. Remember those old fashioned scales? You come down here and you got the things they put, put on there and you weigh it out. And what they would do is they would weigh it out and find out how much something would cost, so forth. That's the that's the illustration here. Okay? So you got the trouble, the sorrow, the, the problem, the trial, the suffering. You got it over here, right? He said that's on one side, but it is pr producing something that is greater on the other side. It is called an eternal weight of glory. In other words, it is heavier and bigger than your problem. I'm not finished. Stay with me on this. It's heavier. It swings the scale. Let me throw in a couple verses. We'll get right back to it, though. Paul said in Romans 8, 17, If indeed we suffer with him, okay, that's on one side, 
that we may also be glorified together. The next one, my mother's favorite passage of scripture when I was a kid. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you see that? You've got on one side the sufferings, you've got on the other side the glory. you got both. Now, here's the point. Suffering becomes trivial when compared to future glory. Obviously, the Bible confirms that we have an eternal reward for perseverance. And by the way, that's what uh, patience is. We'll get to that in a minute. But we have a, an eternal promise if we would but persevere. Revelation 2 and 10. It says, but be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. So we understand if we endure and we make it to the end, we get a crown of life. But this passage is saying so much more than that. It's saying something else. It's saying something further. Our reward is obviously included in the promise. But Paul said our sufferings, get this, contribute to eternal glory. So, what is it? I told you what I used to think it was even a week ago. I thought in general he was saying that I can handle the light affliction. I can handle the troubles in my life. I can handle the sufferings in my life because you know why? My reward is greater. That's what I thought it was saying. And that's what I thought it was only saying. Not so. You know what eternal glory is? What is glory? It's this. It is our capacity to serve, praise, and glorify God in heaven. That's what it is. So the sufferings that I go through in this life are preparing me to be able to, to praise God more, glorify Him in heaven one day. That's the eternal part. Okay? And our eternal glory is measured out in relation to our willingness to suffer. 2 Timothy 3 and 12 says, All that will live godly will suffer persecution. Now, notice this in 1 Peter chapter 1. I have a practical, by the way, a practical application here, so hang on to that. Just give me a minute. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? In this passage, it's saying this. When our faith is tested by the fires of life, and we don't cave, and we don't chicken out, we don't quit, you know what happens? It produces what we are and demonstrates to the world that our faith is genuine and real. And Peter said that's better than gold. And guess what? God gets the praise and the glory and the honor while we're still living, and we get our reward when Jesus comes back. Okay? That's that part. But there is a re relationship between suffering and glory. That's exactly what Paul looked at. Now, I want to make this point, too. I'm not standing in front of you and saying that pain isn't pain. I don't understand this. I'm not trying to pick on folks. But I don't understand our Christian scientists, friends. They actually say that there is no such thing as pain. They say and believe that there's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as bad. 
They actually believe in the doctrine of everything is just perception. It's your perception of it. It's how you think about it, which makes it either good or bad. I don't want to be sarcastic, but that's just absolutely ridiculous. Pain hurts. Pain is pain, and it hurts. I understand that. So did Paul. A scar is a scar. Defamation of character is defamation of character. Assassination of someone's integrity is just that. Pain is real and we admit that it's real. Absolutely. You know what Paul's saying? He wasn't saying pain isn't real. You know what he's saying? Get this. He was saying it doesn't matter. That's what he said. He said, not that it didn't exist. He said it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's momentarily. It's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's having a positive effect in our life. Our trouble, he says, has a causal effect on our future glory. He's saying there's a direct correspondence between the two. In other words, the more I suffer, the greater my eternal glory. That's right. They're connected. And it's producing an eternal weight of glory. And it means this. Something that's heavy on the other side of the trial that tips the scale. The scale is tipped in favor of that which is in the future rather than the present. So, so, what is eternal glory? I'll tell you what it's not. So don't be misled by this. Don't let anybody tell you this. It's not true. It doesn't mean if Terry perseveres better than I do, he gets a better reward in heaven. That's not what that means. That's not what that means. We're all in it together. We're all getting the same thing. In fact, Jesus dealt with that very thing in the parable of vineyard, didn't he? Whether you worked all day or one hour, guess what? You got the same penny. So the reward's the same. That's not what this means. But are you starting to get the point? He says that the sufferings are doing something for us in connection to our eternal glory. What is our eternal glory? Notice, we will have a greater capacity to serve, praise, and glorify God for eternity. In other words, our sufferings enlarge our capacity to serve and praise. One more. Even and connected to this life. You know what that says? That says if Terry Osborne has to endure something for his faith, for his faith, and he has the suffering that goes along with that, it's weighed on the scale. And his eternal weight of glory, which is his capacity to praise God and serve God, increases, therefore it's heavier than the trial. That's what that means. And by the way, you know out there in the religious world, people are looking for something that they get. There's nothing about what you get. What he's saying is, he's not saying... You keep serving me and endure the sufferings and you're going to get something great. He didn't say that at all. He said, endure the suffering and therefore you're going to be able to give with a greater capacity in heaven. How about that? Don't you see, folks, whether you're living in this life or whether it's life after this one in heaven, it is never about us. It's not. Even in our reward place, it won't be about us. It'll be about God. 
It'll be about praising, honoring, serving, worshiping God for eternity. That's what it'll be. Kind of sheds a little light on it, doesn't it? Now, while we're living, is amazing. Something else, though, there's something else that's connected to this, and it's patience. Okay? So now we have sufferings and trials, but now we've got, we got to talk about patience, because patience is working in there, too. James 1, 3, and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, how does it all work? Here it is. The trial increases your ability to persevere. Okay? Suffering increases your capacity to serve God. Have you ever looked at suffering like that? It's adding to your eternal weight of glory. That's powerful. Even helps you in this life. Now I may have to clarify here though about suffering. The only suffering that produces a weight of glory is suffering that honors Jesus Christ or his cause. It doesn't mean that if I go make bad choices and I have to suffer for it, I'm suffering. It's not what that means. It doesn't mean if I commit a crime and I have to be thrown in prison and I suffer that that's what that means. Nope, not what that means at all. Not at all. Or if I do something wrong and I have the ramifications of that. Okay? And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that somebody makes fun of me, which has nothing to do with the cause of Christ, that that's suffering too, that that's included in this. It's not. It is suffering that's in, that is exclusive to the cause of Christ. Your faith. Your faith. It's, your, it's the result of your Christian life, your faithfulness, your loyalty, and your commitment to Christ. That's what gains the eternal weight of glory. Well, finally, this morning... Paul tells us another secret of endurance, and that is this. And they actually, this ties the other two together. You will be able to endure when you value eternal realities over temporal things. When eternity and what is eternal is more important to you than what is temporal. Now, I'm going to tell you, it is all about that. It always has been. There are things in life that we're allowed to enjoy. That's great. I enjoy life too. I enjoy life too. I'm going to be a 52-year-old, sometimes immature, sometimes kid. Man, I have some fun. Especially this side of cancer. Man, I have fun. Not sinful fun. Not that kind of fun. But things we're allowed to have. Okay? Things we're allowed to have. So I'm not saying that you can't enjoy things in life on the physical side. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is you have to look at the things that are eternal and not the things that are temporary by what is the most important thing in your life. Notice, while we do not look, it's all connected. We don't lose heart. We don't chicken out. We don't lose hope. We don't give up. Since, that's what even though means, since our outward man is perishing, we know that. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day, so I'm going to be focused on the spiritual, not the physical. These things that I'm going through may be very difficult, but it's really light affliction. And you know what it's doing? 
It's actually helping me. It is increasing my capacity to serve God in this life and in heaven one day. And then here it is. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, in verse 18, he says, while we do not look. You know what the opposite of that is? The opposite of that is when we do look. So we're not looking at things that are temporary. We are looking at things that are eternal. You know, the Bible talks about your eye be single. The flip side of that would be like a double-minded a, a double man, unstable in all his ways. But your eye has to be single. Here's a phrase that I tell my football teams that I've coached over the years. And the reason that I do is because it has nothing to do with football, even though it was, in a, it was on a TV show about a football program, and it's clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I believe wholeheartedly in that, and it had nothing to do with football. I researched that phrase, and it said it was used by a lot of cancer patients. And the idea is clear eyes. If you have focused eyes, and you're focused, in this case, on the eternal. You are focused on what is right. If you have clear eyes and a full heart. You know what that means? That means you rid your heart of all the negativity, all the hatred, all the bad stuff, and you fill it with that which is right and good and the love of your family and the love of the church and the love of the Lord and the love for the souls of men. You cannot lose. And it doesn't matter the score at the end of the game. Because if you can have clear eyes and full hearts, you just became the greatest version of yourself. And that's all you can do. It starts with where you're looking, folks. Where's your eyes? Is your eyes on that which is eternal? Or are our eyes, by way of importance, on the things that are temporary? Is the world more important than the church to me? Is my priorities out of whack because I have all this stuff going on, but the Lord's church is over here? When you think about the spiritual things, you are thinking about the things that are eternal. You have to change your thinking. He says we don't look at the things that are seen or temporary. We look for things that are eternal. Spiritually speaking, let your eye be single. Paul's concern was God, Jesus Christ, and the souls of men. The things that were eternal. So summing up and finally, I'm going to tell you something, folks. Get ready for it, but suffering is going to happen in your life. It is. You cannot handle the sufferings of life if you don't have the proper perspective and your eye is not fixed and focused on that which it should be. You know what you're going to do? You're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to be slung around. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to have to need help. You're going to do this, this and that. All these things are going to go wrong. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. But if your eye is fixed on that which is eternal, and you value the spiritual over the physical, you value that which is in the future more than the present, and that which is spiritual rather and eternal rather than that which is physical, you can endure to the end. We have a spiritual strength, folks, in our endurance. 
Have you ever stopped to consider? And I'll say this in closing. Have you ever stopped to consider that there may be a trial of your faith? It's, it's exclusive to that. There may be a trial of your faith that seems so difficult. But it's adding to your capacity to serve God later while you're still living down the road. It's going to give you patience that you need later down the road. And when we get to heaven, it's going to increase our capacity to serve, praise, and honor God for eternity. That's pretty good stuff. That is the eternal weight of glory.